Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's podcast. Today, it's our great pleasure to have with us Simon Daplin. Simon is the head of global marketing at Sentient Ink Technologies. Sentient are an ink and color supplier working worldwide and representing over 95% of the digital textile printing space. Simon, welcome to today's podcast. Thank you, Debbie. Pleasure, absolute pleasure to uh, to be invited to do this. It's great to have you with us today. You are a doctor, I believe. I, I am. Do and, you have a, and... <laughs> a deep technical knowledge? Uh, yeah, and weird, weirdly, I mean, it's going back too many years now to to think about, really. But my PhD is actually on digital printing of textiles. So, uh, so from a from an early start, I've been uh, kind of in the industry and um, involved in some way, shape, or form in in digital printing onto textiles. Great, that couldn't be more relevant, could it? When did you do that, Simon? When was that? Uh, I finished in two thousand four, so it was kind of from two thousand. Uh, to 2004, um, and uh, yeah, at the University of Leeds, which has a pretty good uh, reputation in the in the color and polymer department, and we were doing a lot of um, textile development work at that time. So you've seen massive changes since then. Yeah, huge. I mean, it's it's there were people there working on. I was working on essentially a digital pigment ink at the time before really there were any commercially available ones. I think BSF had just launched something um, that was very in its its infancy. There wasn't even the Reggiani Dream Machine. So digital textile printing was really a uh, very early stage sublimation um, at that point. So I think, uh, yeah, when you see the, the strides the industry's taken since then, it's, it's really quite amazing. It's huge, isn't it? It's incredible. Very, very exciting. And, and um, yeah, changing so rapidly now too. Yeah, I mean, especially when you look at the, the the throughput that these systems can now do. What you're talking about, uh, an inkjet printer printing over ninety meters linear meters per minute, um, and we never ever would have thought that was possible um, back back yeah. then. No, what would speed have been then? Back to two thousand and three, were we talking about twenty eight meters an hour, something like that, probably going back. Probably there. even probably even less. I mean. There, yeah. there really weren't that many. I, I guess it, they were the early day Mimaki machines, so so probably the things mm-hmm. like the the, the JV threes and JV twos. So it was really yeah. early days. Everything was based on on Epson heads. I think Cytec or Cytex made the first kind of inroads, and then Dupont started with their uh, artistry systems. But but that was the first kind of industrial system. So it was really early days, and then you look at the progress to the single pass systems that we see today, it's, it's phenomenal, really. Incredible Swedes. They, 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 you know, they really have, they do, they rival um, analog now running at the same speed, really, or even a little bit faster. Uh, definitely. If you consider the, the output in a, in a production day, because there's not the setup time and, and, and things that you require from a, from a conventional rotary screen process. Um, it's, it really mm-hmm. is a big, digital file and print um so there's there's pre and post treatment to consider but essentially you can have 80 90 percent uptime on a digital system even more and and a lot less on a rotary system so if you look at the the daily output it probably is in certain circumstances greater than that that you will get from a from a from a rotary great thank thank you um I have six questions for you today, and um, our conversation leads us to the first one, actually. Why, Simon, should sustainability be on the manufacturer's textile agenda? Okay, so so as you know, Debbie, I'm kind of a bit of an evangelist for sustainability in, in, the, in the textile world. And, and I would say that it, it's not really something that should be on the manufacturers just in textile, but, but everyone's agenda, right? So... Um, but mm-hmm. if we if we take textiles specifically, uh, I think more and more we're hearing about specific issues related to the industry, whether it's TV shows, documentaries showing um, some of the some of the practices that uh, that are happening in certain factories or certain parts of the world, or whether it's Greenpeace uh, launching certain campaigns. Um, I think the the public and the consumer has a great a much greater knowledge and understanding of what sustainability is and the impact that actually the textile industry 
alone has on that. Um, and I kind of mm -hmm. wrote down some quick quick things here to prepare in terms of the the numbers um, in, and why why it's such a, an important topic. Um, so if, if, if that's okay, um, I think there's stats everywhere, whether they come from Greenpeace or World Wildlife Fund um, or, or kind of independent bodies. Ellen MacArthur Foundation is now doing some really nice work into understanding what's yes, going on. But if you, if you look at some of those stats, um, things like by 2030, I think it's estimated that the fashion industry, so just the fashion industry, is going to consume 158 billion cubic meters of water per year. Um, wow. And, and when you contextualize that right now, um, a lot of the world's production and certainly the highest growth rates in terms of output are in areas where water is kind of a – precious resource and a quite becoming a scarcer resource um and and it's crazy to to imagine that the amount of water that that our industry is is using in in areas where really um some of the population isn't getting access to to free flowing and, and clean water you know um and to lead on from that i think it's now 20 percent of the world's wastewater comes from the that's, textile industry that's right yeah quite an incredible statistic isn't it and print accounts for eight percent. Um, and and when we consider that, there's there's that that's that's huge numbers. When you think of all of that water, and then print is print is eight percent of that. And it's not just about water; it's about chemicals and 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 other kind of emissions. So greenhouse gas emissions from textiles are, I think, at one point two billion tons annually which kind of these numbers don't really mean anything. And then when I tell you that actually that accounts for more than all international flights and all maritime shipping combined, you really start to get a sense of that level of emission from the industry. Um, and, and I guess there's, there's been kind of some, some unfavorable press towards fast fashion and fast fashion definitely has a, has a place. This, this it's, it's actually a pretty uh, amazing revolution in how, how we as consumers look and, and, and have an approach to, to textile. But that industry alone being responsible for 1.7 million tonnes of carbon dioxide, which is 4% of the global amount produced, is is quite a staggering uh, kind of statistic. It is. Yeah, but these, these statistics need to be out there, don't they, Simon? People need to realise the scale of the production of the textile industry in its current format. They, they do, and and without without kind of explaining the numbers and and putting some context behind them, it's it's hard for people to acknowledge that there's a problem that that we need to address. I guess the good news is that there definitely are ways that we can act today to to make a difference. There are technologies that exist that we'll talk about that that definitely mm -hmm. enable people to to start thinking about it a bit more to start um, addressing some of the, the initial issues. Um, and it's not by any means to say that, that we're um, kind of in an industry that's, that's the worst. Um, I, there's, there's definitely a drive towards change. There are many, many brands, many companies that are really actively looking at ways to improve their sustainability credentials and that's that's a great thing and if we can kind of provide enabling technologies to to help them on the journey then then that's uh, that's yeah. what we're here for effectively that's right and the purpose the true purpose of any industry really is supply and demand i i heard an interesting statistic in the probably in the middle of last year really which was that 66 percent of consumers in a poll completed by I believe it was fashion revolution 66 percent said that they would actually prefer to buy a product that had been created and manufactured sustainably so this this is a in order to supply the products that the consumer demands the industry really has to take sustainability seriously and has to switch to a, an echo and a greener format doesn't it yeah no absolutely and I think I think the consumer mindset has changed somewhat um, mm -hmm. the the reason that the green Greenpeace um, activity on detox, so they had this whole campaign called the green, Greenpeace Detox, which was specifically aimed at um, removing harmful chemicals in the production of textile. The reason it got so much traction is because the consumer bought 
completely bought into it. Um, and that's partly due to the, uh, the mindset of, I guess, the Generation Z and, and even the millennial kind of audience that the brands are all targeting now. They all have mm-hmm. that in mind, whereas people before that maybe weren't really considering the providence of, of their anything, really, whether it was food or, or, or fabric or whatever it may be. Now it's absolutely in people's thinking. And I don't think it will be long actually before your garments that you buy in the store will be labeled in such a way that you have a full understanding of where it's come from, uh, what's been used. Um, I think, I think they will start that. I, you, you see it now on packaging. Some of, some of the food items and packaging start to detail the carbon footprint of the of the product and i think that's probably the first step with textile but i think there's there's a ways to go beyond beyond that um in terms of how labeling will change so that people know that they're buying something that's been produced sustainably that's traceable yeah it's all about transparency isn't it definitely Simon, Sorry. this wasn't this was this wasn't a question that was on our list, but we kind of just lead into it a little bit. In that, um, do you agree that um, the current crisis, COVID, is is actually raising awareness of sustainability, uh, and will ac- actually accelerate change, accelerate the the drive towards, as you say, labelling and the availability of sustainably sourced products? I I, I do. Um, so I, certainly, I think it's made everyone think about the need to purchase clothing right so so mm-hmm. we've all been at home wherever we live in the world at some point we've we've been under some kind of lockdown right with whether we've been able unable really to at least go into a store and, and interact with with the garment and i think that's still a big thing um although there's there's a big increase in the demand online i think people still have this tactile need to look and try on clothes and and, and fashion in particular but i think what people realize is that they probably have pieces in their wardrobes that they bought and either never wore or wore once. And the th- I think it's probably making people consider the throwaway culture that, that started to, mm-hmm. to exist in the last, I don't know, two to five years where fast fashion yeah. became a thing that was, became a lot more affordable, right? You were, you were the, yeah. the, 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 the high street brands were really able to increase their, quality or, or the potential of what what their garment could look yeah. like versus a very high-end piece and allowed people to afford more and people would buy oh i'm going out this weekend i'm going to buy a piece of clothing specifically yeah. for them and they've almost made fashion disposable haven't they in a way because it's so yes. available and so cheap yeah they yeah. created a their own culture yeah, in the, indeed. And I think, um, I mean, th- there are a number of other things maybe we touch on because there's, there's a lot of links through to the other questions in, in some of this uh, yeah, in terms yeah. of the COVID response as well and what we can do or how that will drive some change because I think it will drive some change, especially in where, where stuff's manufactured. Um, but I, I, I also think people still want that. I don't think fast fashion disappears. I mean, you only have to look at what in, in the UK shops opened on Monday, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and the queues were in the discount stores, right? So the the queues were outside Primark and and uh, TK Maxx and places like that, which offer fashion at a very affordable price. Yeah. And and so I think people miss that. I think there's still going to be a place for that. But I think more and more people will consider, well, why don't I pay a little bit more for a garment and get a lot more use out of it than than the throwaway culture that maybe existed beforehand? Yeah, it's going to change the marketplace, isn't it? It's going to disrupt it massively. Um, yeah, as you say, there'll, there'll still be different tribes within that fashion sector, but they're going to switch around a bit and the, the, the percentages are going to change, I believe, for the future. Um, so obviously, um, as global affu- affluence grows, you know, we're not we're not actually going to be printing less. We are going to be printing more. So it's never been more important that we manufacture sustainably. Simon, that kind of leads us on to our next question. Um, what do you think the crucial benefits are of digital textile printing? Uh, so here I'm an evangelist, so you'll have to excuse me, but I, I think there's loads. And, and when you consider still that 
of all of the fabric that's printed globally today, uh, only around 6% is done digitally. So there's, there's huge potential for growth yeah. in this sector. Um, I mean, first of all, if, if we just talk about consumption, if you look at inkjet versus uh, a traditional printing process like screen, uh, rotary screen printing, very generically, uh, because it, it's very hard to give specific numbers because it will depend on what the ink is, what the fabric is. But generically, you can already benefit significantly from a sustainable standpoint. So digital printing should be able to save you around 50% in terms of your electric consumption, reduce your chemical consumption by up to 90%, um, reduce the reliance on water by 50 to 60%, um, importantly, reducing the waste that's pr produced. And, and we don't mm -hmm. often talk about waste, but we can reduce waste by 80%. Uh, and 90% of carbon dioxide emissions. So when, when you kind of just consider that, just by changing the way you print, nothing else, the fabric's the same, the, the design can be the same, the end-to-end the -end process, just the printing part can, can have those benefits. And then we go back to what we were discussing at the, the beginning in terms of the evolution of the digital offering and mm -hmm. its ability to, to have an output similar or better than than some of the traditional print technologies then it starts to become quite a compelling argument i think but there's other there's other things <laughs> there's other things like it, it allows a much more agile production right so we can move away from a, a pretty rigid spring summer autumn winter collection um it allows designers freedom and retailers freedom to say okay that that design's selling really well let's produce some more of it because they don't have to commit to 10,000 meters of a specific design because on, on traditional screen printing, one of the drawbacks is to get to a cost point, you need to order a lot of it. Whereas in digital printing, you can do a very cost-effective, much shorter runs in, in the hundreds of meters, in the tens of meters without really changing your, your cost per square meter of print. And that enables people to be much more agile. So you don't have to mm -hmm. order thousands and thousands of meters of the design, find out that the weather changed or the design wasn't what you thought it would be in terms of its its uh, resonance with the, with the consumer. And you end up with a bunch of goods that are either unsold or, or and go to landfill because we all know that that's, a, that's a, another problem of the textile industry, the amount of garments that are produced that actually never see um, the aware even they, they just go straight to landfill that's right yeah um yeah. so yeah. if we can if we can think about the way we produce it and say well, well I only, i'll only produce stuff when i need to produce it um that digital printing can enable that and that can be another step change in in terms of reducing waste and and energy and co2 emissions and carbon footprint of all these things because we're not shipping loads of stuff all around the world that, that may never actually be sold. That's right. I think also, you know, digital is just one, for the, as you said before, printing is just one part of the whole process. But as, as we move forward, the whole supply chain is becoming digitized. And because of that, we can be much, much more intelligent about the stock we actually make. As you said, so enabling that using digital technologies just keeps everything um, as fresh, instant, um, and kind of just-in-time production, really, which also allows customers and clients not to have to go so far away to make that to, to create that manufacturing. So, therefore, reducing the um, the carbon footprint all round, really, which is is all good news for every every discipline of textiles, whether that be fashion or interiors. Yeah, would exactly. You agree, yeah. Simon? Absolutely. And I think this is this is one of the, the other drivers that we may see from from the situation the world finds itself in, in today with 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 the COVID-19 um, crisis is mm -hmm. people will want to reduce their reliance on getting goods from so far away. Um, and and yeah. I don't really want to pinpoint China because everyone kind of seems to shoot at them first. But the reality is they're, they're probably the, the biggest producer of, of everything, right? And, and we're so reliant on them. Uh, and when, when that supply chain becomes disrupted, it, it, it can be a problem. And people, for sure, what digital can, can enable is much more 
localized production so that you can you can be close to the consumer you don't have to say well the market in spain demands this design and the uk this and france this but we're going to get it all produced in china you can you can react to what's happening in the in the in the marketplaces that you're operating in um, and allow closer to the market so that there's this horrible term that i don't like called nearshoring or reshoring but it's it, it, <laughs> it, it, it kind of will become a reality or, or can yeah, well. be for certain aspects of it and it's not just about the print you're right it's about the whole digital workflow uh, I think web to print will become huge being able to process certain designs and and the whole end-to-end workflow is one thing the bit that's missing um, which is kind of a critical one is, is the fabric because mm-hmm. the, t- today we're fully reliant so if you if you just consider polyester, 80% of the world's polyester comes in some way from China. And it's so that's not... a statistic, that, isn't it? Yeah, it's a scary it, start, that one. It, it is. So that's that's not something that you're going to change overnight. That's not... Uh, we can implement no. all these technologies, but, I mean... It, it, but you can probably control your supply chain better if all you're doing is, is buying raw, uncolored fabric, and then you can decide nearer the point of sale what you're going to then do that with be it a full width color um or be it a print i think um, that gives you a a flexibility that you don't have if you're importing many months in advance um because if you're producing in china typically you're you're on a minimum of a three-month lead time right by the time you've got the designs over there approved seen some samples um and then most people are shipping by sea because it's a lot cheaper um, the, the 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 time from placing an order to receiving it and then it going into stores is is probably a minimum of three months. Whereas in the digital world, if you as long as you have a supply of that fabric, you could have a designer create a design and it be within a store within a week, probably uh, assuming everything is possible. the The other thing we kind of miss in the West, although it's starting to make a resurgence in parts of Europe, is is cut and sew. People, it's, yeah. just, it's, it's not an industry that people kind of aspire to be in, unfortunately. So, if you go to the US, um, there's there's hardly any textile manufacturer in the US because they don't have anybody to finish the garments. It's all done in Mexico and in South and Central America. And similarly for Europe, uh, Poland has a big niche coming now, but most of it's coming from Asia because within Europe we don't have the skill anymore of uh, of people that can cut and sew the garments and the robotics will come but they're not quite there yet yeah it's going to be at least five to ten years before you can well you can sew jeans now robotically I guess you can do a t-shirt but you can't you know you start to get to fine fashion you've got no chance of robotics being able to do those fine movements um, for quite some time Yeah, so I mean, if this is a global problem. That's reskilling um, to support, as um, your unfavourite words, nearshoring, um, is is a huge problem globally, isn't it? Really, um, well, not perhaps in the Far East, but throughout Europe and throughout the West, it's a huge problem because as as production all moved over there in the late nineties, we lost all of those that knowledge and all of those those skills, didn't we? Yeah, and and I think that people aspire to different things now. It's it's it's, it's not yeah. it's not a job that if if you went into schools now and and the days of a of a seamstress or, or a big factory cut, doing sewing and finishing of garments is kind of they're kind of gone really. Um, and yeah, you're right. I think unless you're in Asia or South and Central America, then we're reliant on that that labour being. We need yeah. We, we need to make tailors fashionable again, don't we? We need, yeah. to, we need to yeah, encourage, no, I, encourage people because it's such an incredible, you know, I may, I may have said this on air before, but, you know, my mum was a seamstress. So I, I know how skilled that job in, is. I spent my childhood in sewing factories during the summer holidays. So, you know, incredible skills um, in the, in the uh, bespoke tailoring marketplaces. Um, and, yeah, we've, we've lost them. And as you say, it's not currently deemed as um, as a job of choice. A, well, a job of choice is probably too harsh. It's not it's not a, a career people choose, is it, particularly? Probably because the employment dropped off almost 15, 20 years ago for most of it. Yeah, because because people could get it done cheaper elsewhere. They did. And oh, then exactly, that, yeah. yeah. And then it kind of it, it self-perpetuates, right? It, it becomes this, this thing yeah. that, all, all of the skill and the knowledge just just disappeared 
and you start to see it coming back in in some parts of the UK. I know in in, in Manchester and and places there. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're starting to to weave and spin fibres and stuff again, which again is another part of the industry that that disappeared, and and we're almost wholly reliant on the Far East for that. So things will start, but we're we're far away from being being ready to to do the full the full process, unfortunately. But I guess, as you said before, you know, the the current crisis is going to cause cause a, a change in manufacturing um, supply chains. Um, so we have to somehow reestablish those businesses, clearly not on the scale of the Far East, because, you know, the fashion marketplace is driven by margin as well. But there are, you know, there are huge yep. benefits financially for companies, as you've, as you've just described, using the benefits of digital textiles and um, nearshore manufacturing. Where you're not holding huge infantry, you're not having to create this culture of discounting. So there are, there are, you know, there are, there are space. There is space there to redefine those margins so that we can have um, much more sustainable production. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely, and I think I think you can take it all the way as far as you want in terms of where we'll go, and even even in sportswear where. It's not the. It's not always the easiest arena for digital because, especially in in I don't know, sports teams jerseys and stuff. You're you're essentially talking about block color, um, and mm-hmm. digital's obviously one of the main benefits is the un, unlimited color palette and design freedom that you have. And when you just want to print a Manchester United red shirt, there's there's not really anywhere to go until you consider well, if that fulfillment guy instead of buying in thousands of meters of red and blue and yellow or whatever team colors specific blends they just bought in a white and printed on demand the color that they needed when they needed it the the ability to control your supply chain and your waste production suddenly uh can really change the way people think about doing doing that whole uh, process that's great. Um, Simon, going to move on to our next question. Um, New Ink developments and how innovation can and will make a, a huge impact. Um, just before we answer that question um, on ink, it'd be really um, interesting, Simon, to, um, for you to, to describe the difference in manufacturing um, between ink. Let's, let's use pigment as a scenario. The difference in manufacturing between an ink that is... Um, a pigment that how it's used in analog production and how that pigment is changed to make a digital ink. Okay, can can certainly do that. And, and actually, it's it's one of the reasons, um, particularly mm. in the pigment arena, why digital is maybe only still at sixty percent when we consider that roughly fifty percent of the printing that's done is done with pigment. Um, yeah. And in an analog process, it's very cost effective. So, so uh, in a, in an analog process, essentially they make the ink um, in a in a in a, essentially a kitchen when they need it. So they have a thickener pastes. They they mix in some pigment. Um, it doesn't have to be a specific grade, particularly. Obviously, it has to be a specific color. Um, mm-hmm. And then the the binders or resins that are going to stick the the pigment to the to the fabric. And then they they squeezing it through the the holes of a screen to create the image on, on the fabric. In in a digital world, we we have a much more complex job with pigment because uh, we're dealing with print heads with, with with we're essentially shooting very very tiny drops of liquid through very very tiny holes onto the fabric, and those very tiny holes don't allow for great big lumps of pigment in the same way as a uh, an analog process does. So the first thing we need to do is grind that pigment down to a, to a specific size that is exponentially smaller than the nozzle we're firing it through to make sure that it's not going to clog and allows us to print reliably and repeatably over time. So there's a huge amount of technology that goes into that, into milling or grinding down the pigment to a specific size and then keeping it in that form and not um it clumping together or sedimenting out um because if that would happen in a in a print head then a print head is a pretty expensive consumable part of a printer and so we want to maintain the life of those for as long as we can so that's that's the first step is creating um a very well controlled and stable dispersion so we call that a dispersion and that's the precursor to making the ink 
The other thing to say about the pigment is it's, it's important that it's a certain grade and a certain purity because of the nature mm -hmm. of printheads and how delicate they are. We can't have lots of impurities or, or other things, which, which is a consideration that you don't have in, a, in an analog process. Um, you can't damage a screen in the same way as you can damage a printhead. Um, so when we've got that, and that's probably the most complex part of, of a, a pigment or any ink that contains a solid colorant, we then let that down with the other materials. Um, and again, it's not just about adding a bit of water and thickness so you've got it to the right consistency to go through a screen. We, we have to enable the ink to form very precise drops um, that land very specifically where they're supposed to um, in, in the jetting process. So mm -hmm. there's ov obviously the liquid carrier, which will be water. There's um, what we call humectants, which are essentially uh, materials that stop the water from evaporating too quickly at the nozzle and causing the ink to dry, um, meaning lots of maintenance cycles and, and things like that. So, so we have to add in materials that allow that. Uh, and then we have to add a whole cocktail of other different materials, polymers, chemicals that allow the drops to form correctly, that stop foam generation because we're using a very low viscosity. We're using a very thin liquid. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, it's, it has a high tendency to foam. And then we need, once, the, once this droplet of essentially water with some colouring lands on, on the textile we don't want it just to spread everywhere we want it to be nice and controlled so you get a very nice uh image and and detail maintained so the the amount of technology that goes into a pigment ink for for a digital scenario versus uh pigment ink for a screen print scenario is is completely different and and unfortunately that price that comes at a price or the price point differential is an influencing factor on on why uh, why pigment ink maybe hasn't taken off in the way that we all expect it to um, in the future. I think I think this is where you'll see a lot of of development in the coming years. Um, the, yeah, the cost is yeah, coming down. You, the quality is going up. Yeah, because you've got an established market that's established at um, its price per square meter, haven't you? So as you say, new technologies will disrupt that marketplace as as its as adoption grows. Um, for lots of the reasons that we've already discussed, really. Um, Simon, you've also done a massive amount of work, haven't you, on removing um, hazardous chemicals from the supply chain here in the, from the ink side too? Yes, and, and so that's, that's one of the key things that has started this whole sustainability conversation is, is around the chemicals that are used in the industry. And it's not just the mm -hmm. print part. Um, there's, there's lots of, I mean, if we went back 10 years only, the, the kind of chemicals that people were using um, in, in inks, in treatments, um, uh, for textiles in post finishes was, was mind-blowing in terms of that you would never, ever use them today. Um, so that's great that people have really changed their mindset. And, and a lot of that is driven by initiatives by people like ZDHC, so it's the mm -hmm. Zero Discharge of Hazardous Chemicals by Greenpeace Detox Campaign, but also by the brands themselves. So if you look at the major brands, uh, certainly in the sportswear arena or the performance fabrics, they, they've all for a long time have uh, a restricted substance list of the things that they absolutely do not allow on their final product. Um, and what the ZDHC has enabled, and, and it's not it's not perfect because not everybody's signed up to the same thing, but it's it's as good as we have now. It's a number of the brands have all said, okay, we agree that if you're compliant with the ZDHC, that you don't use X, Y, Z nasty chemical that we don't like, that that you're mm -hmm. approved and 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 uh, you can you can be present on our brand's materials because we talk a lot about it's the job kind of the ink companies to enable brands and users to comply with things like the ZDHC guidelines, like their restricted substance list, like the Greenpeace um, and, and many, many of them have signed up. So uh, I can't remember how many it is now that have signed up to Greenpeace, but like 80 or hundred of the world's leading brands have all committed to reduce the harmful chemicals or eliminate harmful chemicals from their supply chain by this year, actually. Um, I think it will extend further and they, they will have more people sign into that. Um, 
and there's really been a step change in the type in the in the thought process behind what goes into an ink why uh, why we use certain materials and why we don't use certain other materials um, and that's that's a really important part of our focus now because when it's all said and done the the printing process is fantastic when you consider the software the print heads the design the machines the speed um, that all enables the ink to get onto the substrate but once it's on the substrate it's only the ink that is then representing the brand, right? So it's really important mm -hmm. that it doesn't contain materials that shouldn't be there, that, it, that it's got the integrity that that brand expects of its, its own standards and wider standards. And I think we'll see more regulation. What, what would be great is if there was some kind of universal accepted guideline. Uh, ZDHC is as close as it gets today, but not everybody is in it. And when you've got two, say, high-level competing brands, they tend to go a step further and add their own substance restrictions on top of that so that they can say, well, we are different from those guys. And, and so that there are things that make it quite complex, um, as well as the amount of testing that's happening on chemistry and materials is changing the regulatory landscape kind of almost on a weekly basis, we will get a, a report saying this substance that was okay, we're now classifying as toxic or a reprotox hazard or things like that. So we're constantly having to monitor what's safe to use, um, in what proportion you can use it. Um, but it's a really it's a really good initiative and it's 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 the stepping stone that gets us to the point where we're not releasing lots of harmful chemicals into waterways or not having them in wash-off liquors, for example, that mm -hmm. need to be treated. So there's a whole bunch of other chemicals and energy that goes into that process. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think just considering the chemistry itself is is a big step forward in, in sustainable credentials. That's great. Simon, tell us about the innovations that have actually been made within Inc. to imp improve its performance in digital machines and also its mark and um, colour gamut, etc. Uh, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot. When I think back even five, ten years of what, what Inks were like then and now, I mean, we've come a long way in terms of the, the amount of colour we can get into a into an ink um the the reliability so the reason that these big machines can go as fast as they can is that the inks have evolved to a point where they can do that reliably mm -hmm. and consistently so inkjet always had this reputation of being a clever technology but not something that was production ready because you had to stop and clean and if you yeah, got a nozzle, yes. it was a, it was a real problem and kind of most of that is a thing of the past i think um all of the all of the ink manufacturers around the world really have, have addressed a lot of those issues, along with all of the other clever technology of print heads and maintenance systems and ink delivery systems that allow us to print very reliably and consistently. So that that's one thing. We've we've started to move away as well from a, a generic CMYK situation. So the, when inkjet started it was a four color process additive color mixing and with those cmyk inks like on your desktop printer at home you can essentially make mm -hmm. most of the colors that you would want to but the benefit that conventional printing had was they mixed the exact color that they want so so through the screen they don't work in cmyk they would work with the exact spot color that they needed for that design and so while we've got incredible software that allows us to understand how you mix the four colors together to create close to that, what you'll find now is most ink companies offer an extended range of colors, including light colors, oranges, greens, blues, things that are harder to reach in the gamut, reds, so that we're mm -hmm. not focused on a small number of colors. We're really expanding the range of, of possibilities for the user um, and that's uh, then. Then we start moving into effects and fluorescence and all kinds of uh, other kind of spot situations, spot color situations that essentially allow a designer to be as creative as they like. That's great news, isn't it? It's really good. Simon, moving on to the next question: the benefits of dye sublimation, which of course also involve all of those clever. Um, 
new new methods and um, discoveries that you've made along the ink trail, really. Tell us about the benefits of direct sublimation. Um, and if you can just have a, a quick explanation of the difference between the two, obviously direct sublimation as opposed to traditional transfer yeah. printing and how we're going to save so much paper by printing direct. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, dye sublimation is probably the most established digital ink technology for textile um and uh it's it's a really nice process even even the transfer so transfer printing works by we we don't print on the fabric we print on a paper um mm-hmm. a very sophisticated paper i mean and there are some fantastic paper companies that are doing amazing things from a sustainability point of view so so i, I think that's important yeah definitely and, um, and grammage as well. It's incredible to see how much the grammage has dropped over the last few years. The weight of the actual papers being used. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, we're we're now printing on. I mean, it, it depends on the ink, so there is something to do with that. But we we can print on papers as low as twenty twenty five grams, uh, compared to on one hundred and fifty gram papers wow. of and, and get this more or less the same output. So that's a that's a huge benefit but that paper processor we print on the paper and it's dried and then you can kind of keep that roll of paper and then you apply it to the fabric so you put the print face down onto the polyester so this is this is only really a viable technology for polyester and then Mm -hmm. by applying heat and pressure you transfer the image from the paper onto the fabric and Technically, that works. So, so the dye, the dye that we use here, is applied as a solid. It's almost like a pigment, and then under the heat, it sublimes. So it turns from a solid into a gas. That gas penetrates into the polyester fibers, which, because of the heat, have kind of swollen up, and and you, the dye can penetrate. Uh, and then, as it cools, it it locks that that color in. So it's a really neat process. The other benefit of that process has been that you don't have to be so careful with the chemistry and the chemicals that you're using because it's the dye that's transferring the color that's transferring to the fabric and the rest of the chemicals are kind of dried or stay more or less on the paper. Um, the issue is that those stay on the paper, but also some of the, the color does. So you don't get yes. a full, uh, not all of the ink that you're using ends up on your fabric, which I guess is, is a waste point. You also have to throw the paper away. So I'm sure, I'm sure there are many um, that are now fully recyclable. And there's, um, as I said, there's some really fantastic paper companies working on extremely good technologies. You can use the same. Sorry, 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 Simon, you carry on. Yeah, I was just going to say I had, I actually had the benefit of being shown round. I can't mention names, but being shown round one of the paper mills last year. Absolutely incredible how paper is actually made. it's a real science. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and there's some, as I said, there, there are some amazing uh, developments, e- even in the last couple of years, from the paper companies mm. that really have changed the way people will think about that paper transfer, and, and it's become a much more sustainable uh, process. Uh, but there are still waste points, and the idea of printing direct is to remove that. Um, so you print the same type of dye, the same technology onto the fiber. It will do the same thing. It will still turn from the solid into a gas, penetrate into the fibers to get the vibrancy of color and, and the, the fastness that you need. So the, the mm-hmm. wash resistance and the rub fastness and, and all the things we expect from the final good. The, the difference is and, and where, where you have to be a bit careful when you're printing direct is all, everything that's in the ink ends up on the fabric. And that often means that if you're using a, an ink that's been specifically designed for paper, there may be one or two things in there that aren't fully desirable on a finished fabric and that will need a washing process. So that may be something that chemically isn't ideal or, or quite often it's a, a material that you've used maybe um, compromises the color because it's 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 there so if unless you use fully colorless other materials you can get uh, a tainting of of the color that you achieve um when you're printing direct um so what what we've done uh, which which we think is is an uh, the next generation of being able to print direct is is specifically taken a product and designed it for printing direct that that allows all those things to happen so it's fully 
considered that all of the chemicals that we're putting onto the fabric are going to stay on the fabric. But with in mind that we don't want the end user or the, the producer to have to wash and use water because the whole point of doing a sublimation is it's a dry process. Mm-hmm. So if you then in, in, introduce a washing step, you, you're kind of negating the the benefit of removing the paper by increasing the amount of water. So you're just substituting one thing, one non-sustainable thing for another non-sustainable thing. So, yeah. so the idea was to really create that. And we have some patents around that technology, but, um, I think in general, especially for fashion and sign and display markets in, in particular, mm-hmm. I think there's uh, it can be a very beneficial technology that allows uh, a step in the right direction towards sustainability. Yeah, so many applications, aren't there? Tell me, Simon, when you're printing dye sublimation, then you're getting more of what we call push through. You're getting more penetration into the cloth. When you print, when you print direct, yes. So one of the limitations of sublimation over the years has especially been in sports or performance wear and and even especially as we introduce the next word that i don't like athleisure you know the the sport (laughs) the sports leisure wear but 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 brands wear i mean it's 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 huge now like people people really want like patterned and and high quality sports equipment or sports gear right to wear whether they're just out walking or or if they're training the issue with it is is, it's inevitably got um an amount of lycra or elastane in there to give it the stretch that that you need from a, a performance piece when you're printing with a paper really your your it's a surface contact um color transfer so the paper applies to the surface and you'll get some penetration of the dye as it goes uh, as it sublimes but when you stretch the fabric you can see white lines in in the weave or the the knit um, of fabric the benefit of printing directly is you get the liquid allowing the dye to penetrate further into those grooves into the gaps of the fabric and so you get a much better performance in terms of that penetration be it to remove that white we call it grin because it looks like a smile right if you if you uh yeah if you pull it apart with the white teeth show or um or even in some fabrics where they want an element of show through on the other side so if it's if I mean, poly, the polyesters you get are amazing now you can get polyesters that essentially feel like silk that they're, they're incredible but if you're creating silk accessories, for example, people want to be able to see the print from both sides. If it's a scarf or is it if it's a, a garment or a flow dress or something like that. So the penetration becomes important, but you can't have penetration and compromise the sharpness because one of the best things about sublimation is that it's, we all know how to control ink drops on paper. I mean, mm-hmm. what's in your desktop home office printer, it's quite well established what you need to do. To, it's quite easy to control a drop on a paper substrate, especially if it's got a nice coating on, like uh, a lot of these sublimation papers have. So you get incredible detail of print. And you don't really want to lose that by printing direct. Again, it you, no one's going to print direct if they don't get the same result and the same quality, because Mm -hmm. I I think we'll probably touch on later, but those things, I don't think people are going to adopt the sustainable technology unless it matches what they're used to seeing. And so it's really important that that you get that benefit of the penetration, but you're not compromising on all the other visual quality that you would expect from the technology. That's great. So I guess like for swimmer and, and it's, Basically, by being able to print using direct sublimation, you're going to unlock new marketplaces, aren't you, for people with um, existing technologies? Yeah, I mean, I, I, we, we see potential across a range of markets. Um, definitely the, the most commonly used is today with, with regular sublimation is sign and display because perhaps there's mm-hmm. the, uh, the need for a wash afterwards is, is less critical. But certainly in fashion and sportswear, sportswear is definitely an emerging market for digital print. Um, and, and there's there's huge potential. Um, obviously, a lot of the performance sportswear is is based around polyester, so um, yeah. the, that's that's definitely a growth area. And the the other potential for the technology is, and and it's it's not fully realised, but it definitely in in our in our minds and and in the people we talk to, the benefit they see is is of an inline process, so that you could print 
and fix in line because yeah. because with with the paper sublimation it's it's an offline process where right? you you print the paper then you take it to a completely different part of your factory to to transfer it onto the fabric but if you yeah. can do it fully in line and then exactly. even go as far as um i mean amazon's doing it with pigment ink right with with a with a flow where they even want to introduce a a laser cut step at the end so they're printing the panels of a garment fixing them in line and then and then cutting out and and that that i think is the future in terms of the workflow and where it could go yeah it's very important as well that when people talk about inline technology they also um realize that to be truly in line you're running at the same speed at which you print yes very important <laughs> yeah no, no absolutely so if you right now if you've got a 90 meter per minute printer um trying yeah. to get it dried and and uh and fixed at the same speed will require an absolutely enormous oven or or similar so yeah, yeah it, it, there are there will be compromises there for sure um but it's it's a potential and i think these micro factory concepts may bring that to a reality but i think there's a ways to go to for it to be in line with at the speed that you would get from a conventional process yeah, absolutely. Sion, I'm getting conscious of time. I'm just going to, um, we've, we've got a couple of questions to go. Well, the last question would be a summary, I guess, really. So the, the, the next question is, um, could you give us a really quick snapshot of um, other print process and how ink is applied throughout the, the and applied and processed, actually, throughout those processes? Just the key ones, really, I guess. So yeah. perhaps so I I would say that there's there's essentially five and two of them are three of them are very similar so I can kind of almost do them at yeah. once so so we have reactive um, technology so that's a dye based for cotton and cellulose so cotton viscose rayon substrates like that and then acid dye which is also a, a soluble dye that's used for printing nylon polyamide and silk. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially they follow the same process with with slight differences so you have to pre-treat the fabric because the fabric has to be able to hold a print but also the the dye requires a certain chemistry on the fabric in order to to complete fixation so reactive needs to be under alkali conditions acid needs to be under acid conditions so you have to control that very carefully so you pre-treat that and then when it's the print process is essentially print then dry, um, and it's important to dry it. And then you need to fix both technologies with steam. Mm-hmm. Um, so the steam kind of uh, allows the fibers to swell, the dye to find the, the sites that they need to react to because they're, they're reacting with the fabric to almost become one. The reactive, the reactive dye forms a covalent bond, so it's, it's literally part of the cotton. The acid forms a very strong uh, kind of what we call a hydrogen bond, so it's not physically part of it, but it's very strongly bound. Uh, with a reactive process, you need to steam that at 102 degrees centigrade for about 10 to 12 minutes. Uh, and in uh, an acid process, it's, it's longer. It's uh, between 30 to 45 minutes so it's quite a long duration considerable time yeah yeah and at the end of both of those processes um you need to apply a washing step so not all of the dye fixes to the fiber unfortunately that's that's just the nature of the technology and um there are chemicals in the pre-treatment that should not be on the garment at the end and so there's there's always a post-washing process, usually through several chambers at different temperatures to make sure all of the dye and, and other chemicals are removed. Um, <clears throat> direct dispersed printing works in a very similar way. So direct disperse is in the same family as sublimation, but it's, um, it's bigger dyes that require more energy to fix, um, but have better fastness properties. So they're not as bright but they give you a better light fastness and and, uh, things like that. So they're very commonly used in automotive and home fashion and things like that, um, Mm -hmm. upholstery curtains. And that's a similar process. It's a pre-treatment, print and dry, and then a fixation, often with steam, sometimes with uh, dry heat, but for about 10 minutes. And then either way, that also needs a post-washing process to... uh, to remove any unfixed dye or any uh, any chemicals from the pre-treatment. 
And then the final and simplest workflow, because I've already explained sublimation, is, mm -hmm. is pigment. Is pigment. Um, so pigment today really exists best for natural fibers, so cotton and some blends of cotton, but you really want the cotton to be at 80%. Um, there are some people claiming exceptional performance on polyesters, but the reality is almost everybody now is promoting it for, for natural fibers. And there you, you quite often need a pretreatment. Not always, it's not an essential. What the pretreatment there does is helps to hold the print near the surface to, to, to achieve the binding uh, and the color strength um, and to control the drop spread so that it doesn't uh, lose the, the integrity of the, the design. So there's a pretreatment process there, um, but it doesn't have the chemicals in that some of the other pretreatments do. Um, you print onto that and it's a heat fixation, usually around 160 to 180 degrees centigrade, depending on the ink type for anywhere between a minute and three minutes. And essentially, that's it. It doesn't need washing at the end. It's it's a very sustainable process or has the potential to be very sustainable. The issue that pigment has, is, as we discussed earlier, is it's it's much more expensive today than conventional print in terms of the, the amount of technology that's there. And the color strength is just not that of a dye. So a pigment has lots of benefits like light fastness and, and uh, some of the chemical resistances that you may need. But the vibrancy of a pigment ink today, at least, is, is not the same as you would get from a sublimation dye or reactive dye. And that's another reason that it's maybe been slower to be adopted than some of the other technologies. Okay, Simon, thank you. It was a great synopsis. <laughs> That's really good. Um, we're, we're a little short of time. So I think um, for our last question, the keys to adoption, could you give us a quick summary then of what you think are the strongest, the biggest factors driving an accelerating change? What's going to make, you know, that 6% needs to, I mean, the digital space is predicted to grow, I think, at 18.9% yeah. running up to 2025. So we are going to see within our sector huge, huge growth as people switch from the adoption. But as I say, it's currently, personally, I think COVID is actually going to accelerate this change. Um, Simon, it'd be interesting to hear what you think the biggest factors are and what is going to accelerate that 6% growth. So, so, so I, I agree with the COVID thing. I think it will accelerate. Mm -hmm. I think people want that level of flexibility that they don't get from other technologies, and I think the the equipment is there. So from that from that point of view, you can it's, it's perfectly doable. People can see that it's a reliable technology now. I think it's just a matter of time now as we build the installed base. Mm -hmm. If we then consider what what is important to make people think about more sustainable technologies um, if we continue on that theme and and and, uh, and maybe inkjet in general uh, look that we have to be realistic and say the driver is price um, yes absolutely um, and I, <clears throat> I did I did a webinar recently on this subject I, I attended two conferences at itmar where the question was asked what are your top criteria as a brand uh, and they, they'd surveyed a bunch of brands and sustainability typically comes fourth or fifth down their list of requirements with cost or price being number one. So I think it's really important that we're not developing sustainable technology that's two, three, four times the price of a, of the current processes today because no one's going to, no one's going to mm -hmm. adopt, adopt that. So price is definitely one and, and performance. I mean, no one, no one's going to compromise on the quality and their brand reputation to have something sustainable. So they all believe in it. They all shout loudly about it. But the reality is for most of the brands, that a sustainable product today probably represents 5% or less of, of their actual product offering. And if we're to increase that in terms of uh, the technology, it's, it's, it's going to be all about affordability and performance aligned with the sustainability message that really drives the change. That's great. Simon, thank you so much for your um, honesty and um, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. We could have chatted all day on all of these topics. Um, I'll make sure that within the podcast notes that um, all the links are there so that um, re listeners 
um, can ask you questions and uh, find out more about um, Sentient Inc. solutions. Thank you so much for your time. And um, I very much look forward to seeing you somewhere soon. Thank you so much and have a great day. It's been a, it's been a pleasure, Debbie. I really enjoyed it. So thank you. That's great. We'll do this again. There's so many topics we can dive into. <laughs> yeah, there really are. That's so, great. Uh, anytime. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks,